Welcome to the Red, White, and Blue Flags F1 Podcast. I'm Ryan Vasquez. And I'm Stephen McNally. And we are your home for F1 racing this side of the pond. And it's another race week, Austrian Grand Prix, and we are on high Daniel Ricciardo alert. Also high rain alert, unfortunately, but we definitely want to see if the weather and people's health will hold up to have a fun kind of F1 in Austria. Yeah, we are on DEFCON 3 for DR3. Uh, <laughs> currently, uh, Sergio Perez dealing with some kind of health issue. He's a little unwell. It's a little uh, cloak and dagger. At this point, we don't know his availability, but we do know who the reserve driver is. And he's there, chomping at the bit. Which, actually, I just found out that that's actually an egg corn, and it's actually champing at the bit and not chomping at the bit. Yeah, I think I've seen something about that before. I still say chomping at the bit. I just feel like it makes more sense for people, like, you know, you're chomping down on something, right? But I understand that the origination of it is champing, right? Be that as it may. Uh... Your, gra- your, grammar, your grammar lesson for the week and or your, you know, uh, yeah, common sayings and in, in, uh, word uh, etymology. Yeah, fun. Yes. Uh, so... This is Red Bull's home track. Red Bull has made every track this year their home track, as they've won every race thus far. Bastards, yes. Uh, We are in a current dry spell of anybody getting a sniff of the lead, as Max has led not not just one a ton of races, but he's led every lap since midway through the Miami Grand Prix. So that's the last four races no one's even... Even through a pit stop or some kind of... Uh, strategy mix up no one, no one has ever led the pack in nearly two months time so do you think this is going to be just another notch in the belt for the team is anybody going to challenge Red Bull this week uh, it's hard to say I if I'm going to pick somebody I'm going to go out on a limb and I hate to say it it's Ferrari so They've got a front wing change coming at Austria. Also, whether you want to believe the words of Helmut Marko himself, he thinks that if qualifying goes a certain kind of way and Ferrari gets up there and qualifies well, that they're well equipped for this track to keep pace with Max and make it a race. So, I mean... They Does won he have last a reason year. to lie? <laughs> so, well, you know. well, I mean, you know, Helmut Marko, I, I, I don't know... Uh, pouring uh, honey into people's ears and it turns out to be poison. I don't know. But uh, Ferrari did win here last year. Charles won. Uh, Of course, they did have another Ferrari in the race turn into a barbecue with Carlos Sainz. But uh, I don't know. It it seems to be a track that suits him, suits Ferrari, suits the team. I, I don't think it's unfair to say that they have a very realistic chance um, it is a sprint weekend. First one we've had in, in, in quite a bit. Now, the, the sprint doesn't affect the uh, you know grid for the race at all, so it's not like there's going to be any added jeopardy there as far as getting someone on the front row. But I think it's a, it's a good chance for Ferrari to get a nice haul of points and maybe you know even get themselves either at or above Aston Martin at this point in the constructors, at least. 
it, it would be interesting to see somebody, you know, take the brass ring and beat Red Bull this, uh, you know, this point in the season. Uh, don't want to. The closer you get to the end of the season, I mean, it, it's likely that they maybe just let off the reins. But also, the closer you get to the end of the season, you know, Red Bull's also like, let's just take them all. So I just, I think the earlier we get this off the Schneid, the better. I'd like to see it happen, and I think no better, uh, you know, uh, crossroads here for all of that to happen than Ferrari making some improvements. Also at a track they do very well at. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping for that. But well, they, they, they've said they've kind of already started developing the 2024 car. They, they've, you know, we're, we're developing for next year already. We haven't hit the halfway point of the year, and Paige has already turned to 2024. Oh, man, if, if that means I shouldn't revise my picks this week. All right, well, <laughs> uh, that aside, it was a very Red Bull-heavy news week, or Red Bull-adjacent heavy news week, uh, besides the helmet talking up Ferrari and, um, m- you know, Max went to the mat for Nick, uh, for as much as he can do that. And then we had the bit of news about, uh, Alpha Tari. Um, so very Red Bull, you know, and it's junior team, uh, centered news week for me, plus the Checo possibly not making it and Danny getting in. So they seem to kind of dominate the headlines this week for us. Well, yeah. So, you know, multiple storylines on those same topics. You know, the, the first thing that was really talked about with Alpha Towery and Daniel Ricardo was that he might have been the guy in the catbird seat to replace Nick DeVries. Uh, it, it seemed like all the murmurs were pointing in that direction like they you know wanted him to get in that seat to give a a a true test of him where the car is in Yuki Tsunoda and that was kind of like the best match for everybody and seemingly Daniel was very much up for it obviously when you're out of Formula One the thing you want to be is back in Formula One he always has his eyes set on you know any of the top teams but I think once you're away, any team becomes a top team. <laughs> um, well, and there's, then, only 20, there's only 20 rides out there, and we know some of those rides aren't up for grabs by no stretch of the imagination. So, right. you know, yeah. And then uh, the second bit of information with Alpha Tauri is we won't have it for next year. Uh, you know, the team is going to go through a rebrand. So, you know, if you look at Alpha Tauri and now or you look at previously we had the news of Alpha Romeo and now Alpha Tauri we will have no alphas on the grid next year just betas just um <laughs> but the yeah uh they will be changing their name um and you know a bit of interest about Danny I know that they think if they move Danny in there instead of Nick and I know Nick you know has not had the greatest of years but they would like Danny to kind of benchmark probably what they've got with Yuki. But what I'm worried about too is this creates another problem, right? Unless they remove Yuki or something else opens up. There's about three really good drivers in the pipeline in in Red Bull who would be blocked for another year if that is the only seat that manages to open up. And you know, you start getting into this problem of younger talent. Where do they go? And they start be. We've seen a couple of young talents over the years 
be on that precipice for so long to the point where they started to get 25, 26, and now they're like, they have no chance in hell of being in F1. Well, I mean, we said the same thing about Nick DeVries. Like, when is he going to get a shot? He's got an F2 championship. He's got a Formula E championship. And then he gets a shot, and, you know, he's not exactly lighting the world on fire. But, you know, Fernando Alonso's 41, Lewis Hamilton's 38, and, you know, age isn't affecting their performance at all. Danny's out there as an eight-time race winner. Yeah, there there needs to be some kind of pipeline for up-and-coming talent, but I, I think as much as, you know, who pays the bills can affect who's in the seat, I, I think they do a fairly decent job at meritocracy when it comes to putting talent in place. No, that's fair. I mean, he goes, but you see guys like Hulk and Magnuson and other guys on the, you know, and Stroll not quite hitting his performance. I'm not willing to give up on Stroll, but, you know, he does also, you wonder if he was not on daddy's team, what he would actually have to live up to, uh, to stay out there on the circuit, right? So, I mean... I feel like there's good in, in, like, sticking with certain guys. Like, I feel like Esteban is a pretty good driver, and he started to kind of show that he deserves to be out there. But he's had a little bit more of a incubation period. Um, yeah, and he had I a year out also where, where, you know, he had to sit on the sideline and, and find his way back in. So he's kind of like the perfect example of, of, you know, not giving up on young talent. And, I mean... I'm sure Mick will probably get his chance here soon again. Uh, someone who was young and immediately lost his opportunity and will probably get one again. It's just uh, it's just interesting to me. They're, I'm very interested in some of the drivers that are in the pipeline for Red Bull. I'm interested to see what they would do. Um, but, you know, at the same time, uh, riding around in an Alphatari or whatever it's going to be called in the future may not always guarantee whether or not you have a long career either. So Right. Well, you know, in addition to the name change, kind of the bigger aspect of that story was the direction they expected to take with the team. They wanted to be closer more closely associated with, you know, the the Big Brother team with Red Bull. They want to follow some of the same technical directives, the same um you know, strategies and development. And I mean, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier in the year. Like when, when you have such a clear marker for success and you have a blueprint, blueprint, excuse me, in place, you know, why would you not follow that more closely? And, you know, the idea of having its two separate teams develop separately, that, that was their, you know, MO. And I think, they realized like we could have a lot more success if they were more closely tied together. You know whether or not that's fair for you know the the rest of the field to say like you know, this is essentially a four car team now. If they go too far down the road, is that necessarily fair? I mean, there's connections between you know uh, teams with customer engines and uh, some hand in hand cooperation there, but no other setup is like what the uh you know Fianza based team and Red Bull are so and you know it we've seen some of this in NASCAR 
they are obviously allowed to grow beyond two car teams. Although I think financially they've gotten away from some of the largesse of the two Indy IndyCar as well. You know, they they right. tend to have bigger teams. And so, um, but more specifically, because I haven't followed IndyCar as much, but I can speak to NASCAR. Four or five car teams. I mean, Hendrick Motorsports is well known for putting out four and five car teams. And it used to be some days back in the day, which is not really great. And I mean, it's within the rules. They would have a car go out there. Uh, They'd qualify a car. You know, 40 cars qualify, 40 plus cars qualify for a Daytona 500 or something like that. End of the season, they want to guarantee a points race or something like that, or they want to guarantee a championship. They qualify a car, goes around for a couple of laps, and then parks it in the garage, and it makes sure that someone doesn't finish at a certain position so they can get the championship. And that just feels a little underhanded. It's within the rules. But what you don't want is coordination. You don't want it to become a point where... Uh, gee, well, uh, at this point, 20% of the grid is operated by the same team or has too much close ties where, oh, maybe we will have different strategies to help out the guy who's obviously going to win the championship this year. So not that Red Bull needs any more help, but I, it's a little I, squirrely for me. I, I'd like to keep it, you know, not as tight and close if we could. Right. And, you know, and part of me also thinks big picture – We've got some information that also came out, and it's really hard to scrutinize where this information comes from sometimes. But uh, we got valuations for the F1 teams, and you know, we're, some of these teams, Ferrari's up there number one at you know three billion dollars, Mercedes two point seven, Red Bull, uh, you know two and a half billion. If they can raise the performance level of this team, make them more successful, have Daniel Ricardo in the seat, uh, that makes that team, you know, uh, twofold, threefold more valuable. And, you know, the the talks were earlier this year that they were trying to find a buyer. You could put a hefty price tag on a team if you get them, you know, in a quasi Red Bull performative area with a big name driver in the seat. Um, so I, I like to look pie in the sky sometimes to say, are they looking to really hike up the value to uh, prepare for a sale? Or is this all about getting four competitive cars out there and maybe just, you know, sticking it to total wolf. It's probably also just uh, no harm, no foul either way. Right. Uh, can benefit the team and uh, win or lose, you're probably doing something that benefits you. Um, only other, I think, news this week, Steve, was the Alpine sale. Um, and I mean, where isn't uh, Ryan Reynolds not sticking his nose into at this point? Um, but <laughs> so, again, someone, someone joked and said it was uh, Ryan Reno. <laughs> yeah, at this point, you go, well, and. Uh, he is Canadian, so we can get there. Um, but uh, I always think in this situation, it's always funny. It's always Ryan Reynolds that gets the headlines. Poor Rob McElhenney never gets any love. He's a part of this group as well. Um, same thing with the Wrexham crew and uh, a few other investments. Uh, he is invested in this part. Uh, so uh, I think that always interesting. I have not seen anything that Ryan Reynolds has attached his name to ultimately fail. He's always 
turned it around or made it money or, or was able to promote it. He always puts his all into it. He always yeah. at least gives his full his full face to something. So uh, even Mint if, Mobile. Yeah, even Mint Mobile. Uh, uh, so for me, uh, if we get a little bit more Deadpool at, in the paddock, then why not, right? So uh, interesting though. Uh, it's obviously we, we're talking about valuation and money and um, even the worst team. What I think Williams was three quarters of a billion dollars valuation. So it's definitely uh, no. I will. The, uh, Williams was no, second no, no. to last. You're right. It was uh, Haas. 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 Haas was three quarters of a of a, of a billion dollars. So even Haas at three quarters of a billion dollars is still a sizable amount of money. And you see, you see where other go other teams can go with some success, right? Um, you can double and triple that probably if you have a little bit of success. So it's an incredibly valuable asset for rich people and it's got more room to grow. So, well, yeah, I mean, uh, look at Lawrence Stroll, our, our favorite bond villain. Uh, when he purchased force India a couple years ago in, in 2018, I think he paid $117 million. And now the Aston Martin team is worth 1.4 or excuse me, 1.14 billion dollars. So that that was a 10x investment, which is good for him. But I will give a lot of credit to Lawrence Stroll. He has put a lot of money and effort into making that team successful. So I believe he deserves that tenfold growth. Um, So uh, not that the other teams don't. You just see a lot of Lawrence trying to make fetch happen with that team, right? Yeah. So you know, I I was surprised a little bit with McLaren's value. They were valued at one and a half billion. Like they don't own their factory. They had just. Did, did a sale of their factory and leased it back uh, to get some, you know, uh, uh, operating capital. And, you know, the sports car side of their business isn't exactly lighting the world on fire. So to be the fourth most valuable team at, you know, one and a half billion, that, that says a lot for the brand of McLaren itself. A brand of McLaren, and I think... You know, two popular drivers for a few years there, and Danny and Lando. So, I I think that there's something there. I'm curious what they would look like if they don't continue any level of success um, with Oscar Piastri and Lando, right? Or if Lando jumps ship and they have to kind of start anew. Um, and I, I wonder if any infusion of American talent to any one of these teams would open them up for better evaluate, evaluation if that uh, American driver started to actually perform well. Yeah, I mean, you, the uh, the Logan Sargent experiment isn't going great. He is not the great red, white, and blue hope. Um, you know, I, I think there's got to be some other generational talent out there. I don't know if Colton Herta is the guy or, you know, may, maybe there's someone out there at 18 years old yet that uh, we haven't discovered working his way up that's going to be the next... Uh, you know, stars and stripes. Yeah, I think, yeah, they're, they're, you know, just like with soccer, there's always the next great, right? And, you know, it was at one point uh, Landon Donovan, and then it was whatever, and then now it's uh, Christian Polisic, and now there's another guy who's coming in the next generation. And eventually the Americans might win uh, a World Cup in 50 years when I can't remember anything. But um, hopefully an American will break through an F1 sooner than that. But uh, 
you know, that's a prediction we don't necessarily have now, but what are some predictions we have this week, Steve, for how Austria is going to hand, uh, I guess, play out? Well, we, we have a lot to look at this week. Uh, you mentioned, you know, for our brain, some upgrades. A uh, few other teams are, are going to. Uh, some teams are really informed. Some teams are looking for uh, a spark. We'll have some rain early on in the weekend. So, you know, qualifying for Sunday is on Friday. And it looks to be a little wet. And then Saturday with all the sprint festivities might be a little wet as well. And while your position won't affect your race on Sunday, crashing out uh, and needing new parts is really going to mess up your weekend. Uh, you know, if, if they got to start you know, fixing a gearbox or something like that, and you're, you know, sitting there in a good qualifying position, changing those components are going to send you right to the back. So a lot of opportunities for some uh, mixed up action. And I didn't really, you know, swing for the fences because I'm four points behind. Like I need to sweep this weekend just to get within one point of view. And I'm pretty sure you're going to go for a max win. So that's like a guaranteed point. Um, so I played it a little bit safer, but my first prediction is that the winner of the sprint race on Saturday will be different than the race winner on Sunday. Okay. Um, I'm going to say Alex is going to score points again. Uh, he had great race the last time out. Uh, his car is (laughs) not made to be passed. Um, you know, and and Canada had some slower corners, longer straights. I think, you know, uh, Austria has four DRS zones, uh, so that's four areas with longer straights. There's just a couple of medium speed corners in the uh, second sector, but they're not generally passing areas. So if he just keeps his car in front of a DRS train keeps it clean i think he can pick up points pretty easily this weekend uh because that car is very fast in a straight line it's a power track um he'll probably qualify well and if he just holds it there done and dusted uh and my third prediction is lewis will get another podium okay so different winners of the sprint and the main race uh, Alex points, Lewis podiums. Got it. All right. I am going to pick Max because I said I was going to do it until he lost at this point because <laughs> I'm fed up. It's a reverse jinx, hopefully. Uh, he goes, I will gladly take no point on that if he loses. I was thinking about doing something cheeky, but I won't do it just yet. Um, I am going to pick Ferrari to podium. I won't pick which one, because you can't trust either one of them. But I'm going to pick Ferrari to podium. Because <laughs> you know one of them is going to light on fire. One of them, yeah, one of them is not going to, definitely. You just don't know which one. It's been more likely Carlos lately, but you don't know which yeah, one. Yeah, I mean, there isn't a sand trap out there that doesn't call his name. Yeah. And I'm going to say that all the support doesn't do shit for Nick, and I think he doesn't point. So, no, no points for Nick. No points, Nick. Good nickname. I know, he's going to hate it when we keep using it until he gets replaced. Um, so, 
Maybe not the biggest swings of the fences, um, but I think Ferrari podiums, I know my Max reverse jinx, I want to be very clear. I'm not picking Max for an easy point. I would gladly lose that point, and I will stop picking Max every week uh, as soon as he loses. But this is my attempt to screw the juju of the universe up so Red Bull will not win all the races this year. I like it. I mean, the, the season has yet to really provide us with a lot of surprises. Uh, I think... You know, Esteban getting a podium in Monaco has been like the biggest surprise, other than um, like maybe how poorly Sergio's been performing in relation to his teammate. You know, for someone who, you know, did well last year, started off strong this year, his his fall off has been surprising. But other than that, you know, it's it's been chalk all year. So uh, if our predictions reflect that. You know, and, and until some shakeups happen, you know, we're not going to learn our lesson. <laughs> right. So, all right. So I think hopefully we'll not have rain hinder this Grand Prix. Maybe we'll have an interesting wrinkle depending on Checo's health. But we're hoping for a good Austrian Grand Prix. And I think that's a good point to end this edition of the Red, White, and Blue Flags F1 podcast. I'm Ryan Vasquez. And I'm the guy who's going to buy Red Bull apparel if Danny Ricardo comes in and wins the race. I'll do it. I'll hold you to it. A.K.A. Stephen McNally. Uh, We will see you next time across the line when we review the Austrian Grand Prix.